Well, hallelujah. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get ye forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leaven, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds and even very much cattle. And I feel led in my, in my spirit, preach just for a little while about drawing from wells of satisfaction. Listen, God wants to come into somebody's life right now that's been in a struggle. We could have shouted, I wanted to preach on the sweet aroma of praise, because I can't run the aisles anymore, but I walk them. I'm not a, you know, when you see me, that's, that's my vertical. It's all I got. And I love it. But sometimes God wants to speak to our hearts. And as much as I love the shout, I've, my life's never been changed in a shout. My life has never been changed while I was running the aisles. But it's been changed when I had tears hitting the carpet. That's when I was changed. I want you to lift your hands with me. By the authority of the Word of God and the power that's in your name, Jesus Christ. God, we're asking you to move upon us right now. We come here this Sunday night, Lord. We come here hungry for you. We came here tonight, God, with a desire for you. God, loose us, Lord. Drop the chains of doubt and the, and the ropes of, of division in the name of Jesus. God, I'm asking for a unity to fall upon us. God, I'm asking you to begin to move upon our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Don't let us leave like we came in here, God, but change us. I bind every spirit that's not of you right now. I take complete and total authority and dominion in the name of Jesus. Lord, I come to tell the world there is no God like you. Lord, I come to tell the enemy there is no one like you. Oh, how I love you, God. Touch my mind, God. Touch my, my voice and touch my body right now in the name of Jesus. Everybody say in Jesus' name. You may be seated. After 430 years and 10 plagues, on Pharaoh and Egypt, the Israelites, the children of Israel, are finally free from their taskmasters. Now no longer are they bound in chains or prisons. They're no longer forced to work as slaves in the houses of the Egyptians. Now with the words of freedom ringing in their ears, they hurriedly begin to pack and they begin to leave Egypt. And they grab the bones of Joseph and they head out in the wilderness, leaving Egypt behind. When we read in the Old Testament 
And we see Israel. I want you to understand that's a type of the church. We are Israel now grafted in. And when you read Egypt, Egypt represents sin. So the Israelites leave Egypt or sin. And they head out into the wilderness. Exodus 13 and 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. That God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near. For God said, peradventure the people repent when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Into the unknown they marched, not knowing where they were going. You want to talk about faith? Not even sure of what the next day would bring. But they just kept on walking and following the man of God as he led them through the wilderness. Sometimes it looks to us a little bit uncertain. Sometimes we may be a little afraid and apprehensive of what lies ahead. But if we'll stay submitted to the authority, the man of God that God has placed in our lives, I come to tell you, everything's going to be all right. Come on, if you learn to submit to the authority of your pastor and understand that he's not trying to rule over you, he's not trying to be a legalist over you, but he's concerned about your soul. He's concerned about your family. Come on. I heard Brother Huntley say the other day, you can't be right with the master if you're not right with your pastor. Boy, I wish I could think of that stuff. Exodus 13 and 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way and by night in, the, in a pillar of fire to give them light. To go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So God sends a pillar of fire at night. Now, I don't know about y'all. Those folks back in the Bible, they were a little bit slower than I am. If I had a big lighter that went everywhere I was going. They had a pillar of fire. That's at nighttime. We're talking a big. So they could see. Then they had a big old cloud that walked around with them all day. I'm like, come on, preacher, let's go. You got my attention. You know, it doesn't matter what you're going through. I don't care how deep the valley that you're in. I don't care how dark the night or how high the mountain you might be. My God will always be there. Come on, don't be, don't get discouraged. Don't look around and see all this wokeness and all this sin and all this transgenderism. Come on, I'm coming against it in the name of Jesus. I'm not afraid of every devil that comes with it. I'm not afraid of getting arrested either. I could use a vacation. But it's time we made a stand. Because you might be in the dark of night and my God's going to have a light to lead you. You may be on the mountain in the sunshine. But my God's got a cloud that's going to take you right with him. He'll be with you even when the storms of life are raging against you. Come on, the wind may be buffeting you. The waves are crashing over you. But I come with a word for you tonight. Don't be discouraged because God is about to come walking across your waves. God's about to come crashing through your storm. And he's about to speak against it. He's never left me. Come on, he's never forsaken me. He can take the impossible and make it possible.
The enemy knows that if he can just get our eyes off of God for a moment, he has a chance of sinking us. Come on, even when it doesn't seem like there's no hope, you just hold on because hope is there. Come on, even when you don't seem like there's a way, the way maker is here. Even in turmoil, the peacemaker is here. So the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. And they realize they have no one to do their work for them. They got nobody to mow the gravel. That's really all I've ever seen in pictures of Egypt is sand and gravel. No one to wipe off that Leon Sphinx, whatever it is. <laughs> Nobody to do none of the chores. They must have been some lazy folk, you know it. And they see, the children of Israel see the armies of Egypt marching towards them. The Bible says they become afraid. And they start running to the man of God saying, they ain't, they're ignoring the pillar. They're already seen supernatural. They've seen plagues, wonders from heaven. And they're going, well, the preacher took us out here so we could die. We'd have been better off serving the Egyptians than die out here in this wilderness. Exodus 14 and 13. Sometimes a man of God just has to speak. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Come on, the enemy wants us to see him as impossible to defeat. But God wants us to listen to what the man of God is trying to say to us. Come on, don't be afraid. Just believe that God is going to be there. Come on, preacher, preach it. If my family's going to make it, it's because a pastor preaches to my family. Come on, it's not time to throw stones at the pastor. He's interceding for you. We need to hold him up. We need to hold his family up. Because the enemy is as a no-holds-barred war against him. Everything he can do to discourage and undermine, he will do. We can't have the pastor for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I can tell you this, growing up with Charles Mahaney... I never heard him say one bad thing about any preacher ever in my life. I remember as a boy, we were standing there and a man walked up and said, Hey, Mahaney, did you hear about so-and-so? My dad said, Shut up. Don't you put that thought in some of my kids' ears. Because if they're going to make it, it's going to make it because of a preacher. Come on, it's not time to nitpick trying to dissect everything that comes across the pulpit. We're always looking for a loophole in the Scripture, wondering if what is preached is a heaven or hell issue. I'm so sick of people asking me if something's a heaven or hell issue. Let me tell you what a heaven or hell issue is. When the man of God preaches it from the pulpit, and you're stubborn. Come on. You're rebellious. You just made it a heaven or hell issue. Because rebellion's the same sin as witchcraft. Stubbornness is idolatry. That's a heaven or hell issue. So the man of God, Moses, tells the Israelites... Fear not. Stand still. In other words, quit running around like a chicken with its head cut off. I believe God is speaking to his church in this last day saying, fear not. Come on, they're trying to throw fear at us. 
They hired 87,000 IRS people. If that don't scare you. And gave them guns. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. What the enemy would thought was going to be his victory. God is just setting him up. Come on, he thought it was going to be a victory, but it's his defeat. You know what God does? God sends the angel through the pillar of cloud that is going before them and behind them towards their enemy. Come on, church. Don't be afraid. We not only have a God who is going before us, but he's watching behind us as well. If you ever realize how much he loves you, if you ever realize how much he has your best interests in mind, you'll learn to step out in faith. It may not look like it's impossible, but with my God, all things are possible. That night, Moses stretches his hand over the sea. And God causes an east wind. Whoa. Well, hallelujah. Click. <laughs> I'm a little slow, Dylan. I didn't get my birthmark till I was eight. And it dries up all the waters. Now, my dad used to tell me, he'd say, my dad called me ignorant. He called everybody ignorant. He'd say, hey, ignorant. He said, that Bible has shed a lot of light on those commentaries. I read this commentary by Dr. Dumwaddle. And he said that it wasn't the Red Sea that dried up, that it was the Reed Sea, and that the Reed Sea only has six inches of water in it. So there was no miracle. I'm thinking, what a dummy. You drowned a whole army of Egyptians in six inches of water? I'm seeing a miracle somewhere. And a wall of water, the Bible says, is on the left and on the right. Man, wouldn't that be cool? I'm a fisherman. I'd be sticking my hand in there. And then God, he has a sense of humor. And the the Egyptians are chasing him, and he looks through the cloud. This is what the Bible says. And he takes off all their chariot wheels. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Yeah! Whee! So the Egyptians were a little bit slow themselves. When the water divided, I'd been like, sorry, Pharaoh. <laughs> Mama's calling <laughs> And then when my wheels come flying off of every chariot, it's about to be a bad day. And Moses commands, God commands Moses to stretch his rod out over the waters and God closes in the sea around them. And he destroys the armies of the Egyptians. They have now in victory. Their enemies are all drowned and dead. They have left the wilderness of the Red Sea. Thank God we're out of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Now they're in another wilderness. See, this is a wilderness of sure. Sure literally translates as a wall. They just left one trial and one wilderness in Egypt with the armies breathing down their neck. And soon as there is a victory, they step right into another wilderness it's so desolate and so barren it's called the wilderness of sure the wilderness of the wall because it formed a natural barrier 
so the enemies couldn't come in behind Egypt. Once again, their faith is being tried. For three days, they're walking with no water. Dust pounding up every time their feet hit the ground. And when they find a place, they rush up there to get a drink, and the water's unfit and bitter. And they begin to call this place Mara, which means bitter. The people begin to complain and grumble against the man of God again for leading them to this place. A place through their eyes that is unfit. Three days of faith they didn't have. Oh, it's no different than in the New Testament. The disciples couldn't have three days of faith themselves. Three days and they've lost their faith. They forgot about the Red Sea parting. They forgot about their enemies being destroyed in three days. Moses prays, and God shows him a tree to throw into the water where it's made sweet. And God makes a declaration then to his people. Exodus 15 and 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. He was letting them know, just as I can heal your waters, if you'll just keep my statutes and my commandments, I won't just stop at your water, but I'll heal your bodies. Come on, I come to tell you, my God is a healer. Come on, I don't care what kind of sickness you have. I don't care what kind of disease. I don't care what kind of mental anguish or depression you're going through. I got a promise. If I just do what he asks, he's my healer. Come on, he hasn't changed since then. My God can still heal cancer. My God can still heal heart disease. My God can still heal diabetes. Come on, arthritis is nothing for my Jesus. They leave Mara plodding through the desert. And off in the distance, they must have seen what looked like paradise, an oasis. A place of 70 palm trees with dates in them, not <laughs> dates. And 12 wells of water. Exodus 15 to 27, and it says, And they came to Elim, where were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. Finally, a place of rest. Two and a half months now, they've been having enemies chase them. They've been searching for water. They've had all these tribulations. Sleepless nights with your kids burning with a thirst. The armies of Pharaoh after you. You've been in one wilderness called the wilderness of the Red Sea. And you've been in another wilderness called the wilderness of Shur. And finally a beautiful place to rest. A place of shade, water, and food. Aleem translates into strong trees. So they begin camping there. Replenishing. Restocking and restoring. They are at a place of satisfaction. And they have been camped here for a while. Everything's good now. They have the best of everything. They're finally away from Egypt and they are relaxed. Plenty to eat, plenty to drink, lay in the, in the shade in the heat of the day. It's been two and a half months since they left Egypt, but God says it's time to move. The only place to go is back through the wilderness of Shur, 
or go through another wilderness. This wilderness that they're going to have to go through now is so horrible. It's called the wilderness of sin. Why, God? Why do I have to leave this place of security and comfort to step out in another wilderness? Exodus 16 and 1. And they took their journey from Elim. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their part departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You know what happens to us? You see, sometimes God has to get us out of our comfort zone so we can hear his voice. What they're not understanding is on the other side of the wilderness of sin is Mount Sinai. This is the mountain of God. At this place, this is where God is going to speak. At this place, this is where God is going to give direction. At this place is where God is going to manifest himself to his people. They could have stayed at a lame and kept drawing from wells of satisfaction, but they would have never heard the voice of God. Come on, I come to tell somebody, I know there's been a wilderness between you and his voice. And I know that there's, going to, there's been hunger and there's been hardship. But just as he made a way before, come on, I come to let you know, he's going to do it again. So they pushed out into the wilderness. It wasn't easy because this was the worst one yet. And they became hungry. And God fed them quail and manna. They became thirsty. And God gave them water to drink out of a rock. When Amalek came against them, God made a way to defeat them. Come on, I come to tell you, he's my bread when I'm hungry. He's my water when I'm thirsty. He's my shield. He's my shelter. Come on, and when the enemy comes against me, he fights my battles. I know it seems like we're walking into the valley, trial after trial, wilderness after wilderness. And when you do find a place of refuge, a place of comfort, that hunger and that longing to hear from God and to draw closer to Him, it begins to burn inside of you. You want to be changed. You want to be more like Him. You want to do more for Him. So the only thing left for you to do is to get up from this place of comfort and this place of satisfaction. Step into another wilderness. Come on, just putting one foot in front of the other foot. Remember, yay, though I walk. Come on, it doesn't say yay, though I camp out. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes you just have to get up. Sometimes you have to put one foot in front of the other, even though it's lonely, even though it's dark. But up ahead is the mountain of God. He's going to speak to you. He's going to bless you. He wants to change you. But he has to get you out of your comfort zone. You see, it would have made more sense that Peter, an unlearned, ignorant fisherman, would have went to the Gentiles and not the Jews. And that Paul, one of the most learned men of his time, would have went to the most brilliant people of their time, the Jewish people. But God has to get you out of your comfort zone where you can rely on Him. Come on, when we learn that it's not about us, that it's about Him, you're going to see every, every chair in this building filled on each service on Sunday morning. 
Come on, when you get to a place where you're hungry, you're tired of sitting in the comfort, you're tired of drawing from wells of satisfaction, you're going to start bringing your family. You're going to start bringing guests. They're going to start praying through to the Holy Ghost. People that aren't satisfied is who I'm preaching to right now with where you are. That don't mean you need to get up and go leave and do your own thing. Come on, your mission field starts when you walk out those glass doors. But you're ready to step out. Step out in the wilderness if you need to. Knowing that God will be there with you through the trials, the storms, the pain, the hunger, the fear. And one of these days, you're going to hear from God. I received the Holy Ghost March of 2004 in a drug rehab called Serenity Park in Little Rock, Arkansas. Bless you. We need a clean up on aisle three. Sorry. That's that ADDDD stuff, y'all. That was a perfect sneeze. Y'all hear that? I chew. I heard it. Now, I wasn't the, the law's favorite person. I'd been charged with 13 class Y felonies. 13. I don't even know how many misdemeanors I've been charged with. And they wanted to put me away for life in prison. So I go to court. They offer me a deal. 40 to life in prison. Boy, that ain't much a deal, is it? I've had people tell me, actually say this. Well, you only got in church because you was facing 40 to life in prison. Duh! Are you kidding me? People are ignorant. Sorry. Now I'm going to tell you, it looked like I would be going to prison for a long, for the rest of my life. I was 38, and if they sentenced me to 40 to life, I'd be 78 before I guess. Took the words right out of my mouth before I even seen the parole board. So it wasn't looking real good, you know. And I remember I decided I'd go to a, a drug rehabilitation place. I'd never been to any kind of rehab or nothing in 21 years of drug addiction. I had people ask me why. I told them I wasn't a quitter, but... <laughs> and my mom and dad, that was their first hope that they'd ever had for me. Do you understand? I do now because my son. You see, today I got a text at lunch from my wife. My son got out of jail in October, and I have not heard a word from him. I know he's, he's been at a homeless camp. But we didn't, I thought he was dead. I'd get up in the middle of the night with this aching inside of me. And I got a text that said, Nikki walked into the church today. He didn't stay long. But you know, I found out I talked to my mom right before church. You know what she said, Pastor? She was crying. She said, I just asked God this week, would you please let me know he's alive? And that's what my mom and dad had been going through, but on a lot larger scale. And while I was in that rehab, see, my dad preached all, all over the world himself. 
And the only time we had visitation was on Sundays, so he was always gone. And I was laying there in the middle of the night, about the third night, and the house manager came up and said, get up, Mahaney, come with me. Well, usually when they said, get up, Mahaney, and come with me, that ain't a good deal. I thought, well, man, I didn't, they didn't even give me three days to try this. And I followed him down that long hallway, and we went to the back, and in the back's the kitchen. And there was one light in the corner of that kitchen, and there sat my father. Somehow, he had convinced this man that would have lost his job to give him 10 minutes to be with his son. So I went in there and I sat down. I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, nothing. I just come by to tell you I love you. And big old hands would pat me. You can do it, Nikki. You can do it, Nikki. And he left. The next night, same thing. The next night, same thing. I received the Holy Ghost in that rehab. I was possessed by demons and they tore out of my body. They were ripping me apart as I was speaking in tongues. The power of God began to rest in my room. The first night after I got the Holy Ghost, the next day I was just standing in there. You know, everybody's out there cussing, and I just didn't want to be around it no more. And a guy walked by, and he stopped. He said, man, what's going on up in here? I said, nothing. I'm just standing here. Man, I feel so. He walked over to me. He goes, man. I got goosebumps all over my body. I said, that's, that's just Jesus. Another guy walked by. I'm telling you. And he said, what are y'all What is that? They were packing into my little bitty room. We're standing there like this. Would you pray for us before we go to bed? I didn't even know how to pray. Y'all have to understand, the first time I preached, I was scared I was going to say a cuss word. I still worry about it. I can't believe they want me to preach anything at conference. But my dad was with me every step of the way. I was in the wilderness and I was trying to overcome things. He was so patient, so caring, not one time condemning me. I struggled with nicotine. I wanted to quit church because of nicotine. I I lit up a cigarette one night in my room at my house, three in the morning. My phone rings. I'm thinking, wonder who that is. Hello. I rebuke condemnation. Because when I lit that cigarette up, I said, if I can't quit these, I'm not even going back to church. My dad said, I rebuke condemnation. I'm like. And he began to read my mail. I began to travel with him. I was still under court orders. And I couldn't leave my county until the judge would sign paperwork. And he would take his time every week and sign all the paperwork. So I could travel with my father and sing before he preached. March, almost three years to the day, 2007, my mother calls me and she says, hurry up, get to the house. Something's wrong with your father. Man, I flew to the house. I got his favorite chair in my garage right now. I go out there and look at it. He was sitting in his favorite chair and he was fighting for every breath. Couldn't move him. He's a big man. I thought, oh, God, I had a bad feeling in my gut. As the ambulance came and took him to the hospital, I went back there, and he's fighting for every breath. And he looks at me and says, just pray for me, son. Just pray for me. I laid my hands on his head, and I would pray. They transferred him to another hospital. And I beat the ambulance there, and by the time they got him to that hospital, they had to intubate him. So he had all these tubes in his body. 
When they opened that door, my father was out. And I ran beside that gurney until they wouldn't let me go any further. And they said, you can't go any further. And they put him in critical care. In between me and him, Pastor, was this wall. His bed was on the other side of the wall. Brother Dylan, I'd stand there for hours. Lord, help him. Lord, don't take my daddy. I've only had three years with him. You don't understand. I didn't go around him. The spirits would get, I would stand and curse God in front of him because those spirits hated him. Now I was finally free and you're going to take him? Brother Haney was our superintendent and he would call me every other hour all night. And me and him and Sister Haney would pray and I'd put my hand on that wall. See, I'd just come out of the wilderness of the Red Sea. I'd done, made, I'd done had victory over the things that were in my life. Now I was in the wilderness of the sure, a wilderness of a wall that stood between me and my father. No, you can't go see him. Stood there for three days. They'd tell me, you need to go sit down. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I went into this little chapel at that hospital, and I sat down. I said, God, I need you to tell me what's going to happen because I've got to take care of my family. i got to know what to do. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, it's his time. So they wasn't letting us in to see him. You know, I used to be a good burglar. <laughs> like they're going to keep me out of that room. <laughs> Whatever. And I slipped off in that room. And I walked in there, Brother Dylan, they had him at an angle. He was tied to that bed because he was bleeding out inside. Had all those tubes down him. I, I, I can see it right now. His hands all bruised. They had him tied to the bed, his hands. And I knelt down beside him, and I began to whisper in his ear, Dad, I want to thank you for teaching me how to be a man the last three years. Dad, I want to thank you for teaching me how to be an evangelist. I hadn't even preached. And I said, Dad, I swear to you right now before God, that what you started, I'm going to finish. He sits up in that bed with all them tubes coming out of me, and he turns and he looks at me. And I put my face right there, and I can't tell you how long. It was for a little while. And the Lord said, let him go. And I took him by his head, and I laid him down. That was Sunday morning. He died at about 9.30, 10 o'clock Sunday morning. At 6 o'clock Sunday night, I preached my first sermon. I walked up to that pulpit with a promise that I'd made in a wilderness that what you started, well, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm going to finish. I, did, I preached for about 10 minutes. That's all I had. And a lady uh, addicted to drugs comes walking down the middle of the aisle. She said, I want this. I laid my hands on her and she received the Holy Ghost. I baptized my first drug addict that night. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I don't put it all over social media, but I have baptized thousands and thousands and thousands of people. All because of a wilderness. I heard him. His dad's gone. He ain't going to make it. They didn't realize I had a walk with God myself. A year to the day, my sister was at the church. She passed away with a massive heart attack, 42 years old. You want to talk about being in a wilderness? Just married. I got married right after my father passed away. My wife was just getting acclimated to the Mahaneys. That's not easy. My sister dies, 42. We're at General Conference at Greensboro one year after that. Three years. Just finding my way. I've got my wife, my young daughter, my mother. We're all at General Conference. And I'm sitting down there in the lobby waiting on them to get ready. Imagine that, huh? And I get a phone call. 
my son, who I was just talking about, calls me. Dad, I don't know what to do. I said, what is it? And I heard somebody say to him, we're sorry, Mr. Mahaney. He ain't going to make it. My grandson was sleeping on his chest. Just quit breathing. His name was Charlie after my father. And I'll never forget the sadness that came over me. I thought it was over, Lord. How am I going to make it? Brother Huntley and Brother Foster are huge voices in my life. And I called them immediately. I said, Brother Huntley, you've got to help me. I've got to go tell my mother that that little baby that she loves dearly because of his namesake is dead. We walked in there, and I'll never forget, Brother Huntley knelt down at my mom's feet. He said, Nita, I have the worst news to tell you. He said, your grandbaby Charlie has passed away. My mother screamed, it's hard to tell this, ran up the wall and collapsed. Here I was, I was in that wilderness. Lord, what's going on? Lord, I, I don't know if I can take anymore. My new wife, I'd find her in our, our little washroom, in our little apartment. She'd be in there just weeping because this spirit of depression and fear had fallen upon me and my family. Oh, you're out preaching because I went straight to evangelizing. And I was coming home and I was fighting all kinds of things. But let me tell you something. All of a sudden, I heard him. I heard the voice of God. Can I tell you that every step of the wilderness was worth it? Every trial... Every tear, every broken heart, it was worth it. Because now I know what it's like to get out of that wilderness of sin and walk up and there's the mountain of God. And he's reaching down and he's caressing me. And come on, he's molding me and he's making me. Come on, somebody, whatever it takes. I preached a little bit about it this morning. Come on, the trial is what makes us who we are. Come on, it's the tribulation that makes us who we are. Our shout and our dance and our music isn't who we are, but it's who we become when we're laying on our face and God molds us into Him. So here we are on a Sunday night. We've already worshipped him, praised him. We felt his presence. But he's going, come closer. Draw closer to me. I will take you through that trial. Listen, I'm not a prophet. I barely make a prophet. And I just, everybody can't be a prophet. There's only very few prophets in the Bible. I don't know why we have thousands of them now in the UPC. Listen, I'm a student of the Word of God. Like I said, they may fire me for conference. I'm a student of the Word of God. I don't read one place in the book of Acts Church where somebody said, Stand up. You got a brown wallet? You ate Chick-fil-A. How did you find Chick-fil-A on Sunday? I don't see that happening. I read where it's a word of knowledge, but they do like books of knowledge. But I know when the Lord speaks to me, Instead of preaching the sweet aroma of praise and us shouting around here, he wanted to tell you he knows where you are.
You have not been one step that he has not been there with you. Sometimes, have you ever thought about Abraham going seven years without hearing the voice of God? He just kept walking. He never heard from God. He never felt God. He never had a sign from God. Sometimes he puts you in a silence so he can seize, see if you're really who you say you are when you're doing this. Sometimes he puts you through a trial because he knows what's coming ahead of you. He's tempering you. He's molding you. He's making you. But I come to tell you, at the end of that wilderness, there's always a Mount Sinai. Come on, some of you are about to step out of some things tonight. You've been, come on, I'm talking to people that are battling some fear and anxiety and depression. You're about to leave here and you're going to go to bed tonight and you're going to sleep like you haven't slept in months because the hand of God has elevated you. Come on, pain is going to leave your body. Infirmities are going to be gone. And you're going to know that I was just in a wilderness and I had to get away from the wells of satisfaction for a minute so I could see who God really is and what he really wants in my life. I want us all to stand. I want to explain just something real quick about faith. I had a man call me one time. He said, do you do miracle services? I said, no. But I see more miracles than them guys that's doing the miracle services. Because I can't perform no miracle. Only thing I can perform in the miracles making a bucket of chicken disappear. But I see miracles every week. I was just in a church service, I think, ten days ago, on a Sunday night or two weeks ago. There's people carrying walkers out. There was a guy whose back was so twisted he had to walk on a cane like this. He goes to shouting. So I understand. I, I, I know what faith is. Now, faith is this. God can send a lightning bolt right now. Take care of everything, every need you have. But that's God's faith. God wants to see your faith that's why we say if you need a miracle or if you want salvation you need to come to the front God's just wanting to see if you have enough faith to believe faith is action you can't expect God to do all the work he wants to see something from your part Here's what we've lost in Pentecost is, number one, we're so time conscious. Come on, I'm just telling you. Elder, I remember we'd be in church till midnight when I was a kid. People had jobs then too. We went 12, 13 weeks of revival with no rest night. They had jobs. They didn't have this. But I'm talking to somebody right here, right now. Come on, I'm talking to a lady. That fear is gripping you so tight when your husband leaves to go to work. You're trying to keep up the strong image. But it's pulling you slowly but surely into this state of depression and anxiety. God wants to free you. I'm talking to some men right now. Oh, I can't let them see. 
my family see me afraid. God wants to set you free. But it takes action on your part. You got to get to a place where you don't care. Come on, young people. You're being bombarded from every direction. Come on, some of you go to school. You're the only apostolic in that school. Your friends aren't apostolic. They make little comments about you. Your teachers are teaching stuff that we never dreamed they would ever teach. Thank God you got a governor that's standing up against it. And here you are in that wilderness. God wants to set you free. Now, who has enough faith and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired? You're saying, I have to have something right now, today. I've had enough of walking around in the wilderness of sure, the wilderness of sin, the wilderness of Egypt. Come on. Come on, step out. Get up close to the front. Come on. Get in tight as you can. Come on, if you're not battling it, I don't want you to come up here right yet. But if you're in the battle, come on, that's it. Get in tight. Get in tight. Come on, move on in. Pastor, I've been there lately. I thought we were going to go under the first six months of this year. You know what it's like, Brother Dylan. I told my wife, I don't know what we're going to do. God just stepped in. He was just trying me, letting me see that he has it. We have financial burdens. We have emotional burdens. He said, here's what Jesus says. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And when I realize that when that yoke is getting heavy and hard and my burden feels like I can't take another step, that's not Jesus. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want you to lift your hands and begin to repent right now. Come on. Forgive me, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, repent. Pour out your heart. Come on, lay it out there. We act like he doesn't know. Tell him, God, I can't take it anymore. Come on, we act like God doesn't know that we're in a battle. Come on now, I want you to just start giving it to him. Come on, if it's a child, if it's your husband, if it's your wife, if it's finances, if it's your health, I want you to just start giving it to Jesus right now. He's telling you, East Wind, my yoke is easy. Some of you, it's been a while since you got lost in the spirit and spoke in tongues. Come on, you just need to open up until you begin to speak in that heavenly language. Oh, la, 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 mahasataya. You don't let up until you feel that burden become light. 
Come on, let it go. Come on, you've been hanging on to it for too long. Look, I'm coming to you from experience. Oh, how do you go preach knowing your children are lost? You know what? I let it go. I let Jesus have it. right now I feel like the Lord just spoke to me about it I want you to turn man to man woman to woman and I want you to lay your hands on each other and begin to pray a prayer of faith over each other come on I'm not talking about putting your hand on their back I'm talking about interceding right now God's going to reveal and he's going to put a, a, a spirit upon you of intercession over your brother and over your sister Come on, I speak it right now in the name of Jesus. Fall, Holy Ghost. Lay your hands on their head. Take dominion and authority. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to fight. Thank you. 